The resurrection changes everything. 30 years ago, at Easter time, the Lord took a rebellious son of a mother and father in full-time ministry who wasn't tracking with Jesus, who loved the world more than he loved the Lord. And at an Easter camp, I surrendered my life to Jesus. That was 30 years ago. The resurrection changed me. And the resurrection changes us. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changed history. Can you say amen to that? You know, as a young Christian, I never understood what's the big deal about Jesus dying and rising again? What's the big deal about the resurrection of Jesus? And, you know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and by the way, if you have your Bibles handy, won't you turn so long to the Gospel of John chapter 20, but Paul the Apostle, when he is writing and he asks the question, what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What if Jesus had stayed dead like the leaders of other religions? Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, and many others. What if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead? What if he stayed in that tomb? And he answers it and he says, if Christ is not risen... Your faith is, what's the word? Futile. What does the word futile mean? Futile means you might as well close your Bible, turn your phone off, pack up your bags, and walk out of here. That's what futile means. It means you're wasting your time. And he says, if Jesus is not risen, your faith is futile. And he said something after that, and he said, you are still in your sins. How many of you are glad today that you're not still in your sins? And that your faith is not futile? That's a good thought, isn't it? Now, if Christ is risen, well, that certainly changes everything, doesn't it? And the truth today that I want to proclaim to you is that Christ is risen and the resurrection changes everything. And I want to give you all the freedom today to say as many amens and hallelujahs as you want to. Because if there's one Sunday morning when you can say amen, hallelujah, it's today because Christ is risen. Our faith is not futile. We're still not in our sins. Praise the Lord for that. And, and by the way, if you still are in your sins, <laughs> you give your heart to Jesus today like I did 30 years ago. Changed everything. You know, Christianity, biblical Christianity, understand this. This is very important. It's faith in someone. Christianity is not 
faith in faith. Some Christians think it is. Oh, brother, you just got to have faith. Faith in faith. Well, there are many who understand anything. It's faith in faith. There are some Christians, like me, for example. How many of you had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family where mom and dad loved Jesus? Okay? It's not faith in family. Because we can grow up in a Christian family and like Ross has told us, just because you live in a garage doesn't make you a car. Okay? So it's not faith in family. And it's not faith in feelings. Sometimes we feel close to God. Sometimes we don't feel close to God. And we can put faith in, am I having that moment? It's not faith in feelings. It's not faith in family. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in facts. The facts of the gospel. And listen, there are three important ones. These are the big three facts of the gospel. Now, I hope you don't mind. I, I, I took something. How many of you own one of those little pointy bots? Okay. I want you, when you get home, I want you to turn it over and look. How many legs does it have? Three. Now, could it work with two? Could it work with one? No, it needs three. And it, those, those things are pretty stable, aren't they? But listen, if you want to have a good cooking faith, realize that your faith needs to be founded upon three legs. And the three legs of the gospel, Paul tells us, in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said, the message, this is what I declare to you, the gospel that I preach to you, by which you are saved, if also you hold fast to this. And then he brings out three legs of the gospel, the facts of our faith. Now these are, it's not just, well, I feel it. It's not just handed down from my family. It's not just, well, I want this to be true. These are historical facts of the gospel. And Paul mentions them in 1 Corinthians 15. And he said the first leg is Christ died for our sins. Now he says according to the scriptures. Okay? If you want to know the gospel facts, you've got to open the scriptures. Christ died for our sins. And then he said, and he was buried. Second leg. And then the third leg, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now those are the facts of the gospel. Those are the three legs that your faith needs to cook upon. Amen? How many of you like poikikos? Okay? So we're all on the same page here. You want a cooking faith? Remember those three legs. And hold to them. Now, my purpose today, my goal, I always preach with a goal in mind, is to establish those facts for you. It says Christ died according to the Scriptures, raised again according to the Scriptures. We're going to look at the Scriptures. And I want you, as we go back in time, to listen to the followers of Jesus to try to see what they saw, to try to hear what they heard, to try to feel what they felt. 
And then we're going to take those and we're going to apply. How do they change your life? Because we believe the resurrection. What does the resurrection change? Everything. And the resurrection changes you and changes me. And so the scripture that we are turning to is John chapter 20. It's one of those famous resurrection scriptures. And as we look through the eyes of the disciples, because John was someone who was there, so he's writing firsthand from his own experience. And listen, if you want to establish anything in court, you need an eyewitness, don't you? John's an eyewitness. He saw, he heard, he felt, and as John is writing here, and um, if you look just a few verses up in chapter 19 and verse 30, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and it says, when he had received the sour wine, and he said those words, tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. And then it tells us how one of the soldiers came and pierced the side of Jesus, and Immediately, blood and water flowed out. His heart was pierced. Jesus was dead. And then it speaks of the burial, okay? So Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And it tells us that in verse 38, chapter 19, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, who was fearful of the Jews, went to Pilate and asked to take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who also at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds, or 75 in some Bibles. And then they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. And so they laid Jesus there because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. So right near the cross was a tomb. It was in this garden. It was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. His own grave, never been used. Jesus' body is placed in that tomb. Now, I want you to notice there that it tells us there that there was a custom in verse 40. You look at that verse. They took the body of Jesus and they bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, every group, every country, nation has got its own sort of distinctive ways of burial, different cultures. And the way of the Jews was after a corpse, after that body had died, is what they would do is they would take that body to a place and they would wash the body down with warm water, cleaning away. And so for Jesus, remember those big gaping wounds that he had, they would have washed them. And then after that, they would take these linen strips, pure white linen, and they would begin to wrap and embalm the body of the person. And it mentions the custom there of taking, and it says a mixture of myrrh and aloes. Now, you know what aloes are. Now, myrrh 
was a gummy substance that was taken from a tree, and so they would have made this concoction. Now, it tells, the, the, the Greek word there is interpreted in our, some Bibles. Maybe you look at your Bible, it says 75 pounds. Another Bible says 100 pounds, but it's the same Greek word there. It was a lot of spice. <laughs> now, this says something, because if you think about 40, 45 kilograms of spice, um, that was indicating the importance of that body. Now, normally those kind of weights, you'd be talking about a king or someone important, the high priest or whatever, and so a lot of spice over here, Jesus' body, and so they would have done the arms underneath the arms and just layered upon layered and then wrapped the body almost a bit like a mummy-looking sort of shape, if you can picture that. And then placed in the tomb. Now, Jerusalem is, if you look at that area, it's called Mount Zion. And there's a lot of limestone hills and mountains and rock faces. And that limestone is very good for carving into. And so, again, the Jews' custom to bury is that they would dig and they made tombs. And... The tomb door would be about a meter and a half. There's a very good example of that. If you go to, it's called the garden tomb in Jerusalem. Some believe it was the tomb of Jesus. Others say it wasn't. Um, on the door, there are the words, he's not here, he's risen. And I like that because I like to tell Muslims that because Muslims like to go to Mecca, the green dome, and where Muhammad is buried. And Buddha, he was cremated when he died, and his ashes were divided into eight parts and given to his followers. When you go visit the tomb of Jesus, all you see is an empty space. He's risen. He's alive. We don't serve a dead master, a dead Lord. Jesus is alive. And so here's the discovery of the empty tomb. If you look in chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Where are the Mary Magdalene's in this church who wake up early to spend time with Jesus? Where are you? I praise the Lord for my mother, Mary Magdalene. Get up early. Spend those morning minutes with the Lord. And so... While it was still dark, and then she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now this is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple who were going to the tomb. And so they both ran together. Here's a race. And the other disciple, John talking about himself, basically saying, I, I beat Peter. He ran there and he came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in there also, and notice these words, he saw 
and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away each to their own homes. Now, you can imagine for yourself what Peter and John saw as they looked into the tomb and Peter stooping going in is what they would have seen would have looked something like a cocoon. Jesus said, come on, and this was what he saw. Notice we've got those words, saw, saw, he saw, he saw, he saw, they saw. And he saw and believed. And you see, I don't know about you, but if I had to look into a tomb and I see something that looks like a cocoon where the body of Jesus had been, that would be pretty compelling for me. And then where his head was, and no doubt there would have been some blood smears and marks. But just remember, is that the disciples, some weeks earlier, they had seen Jesus raising Lazarus from the tomb. And do you know what was the difference when Lazarus came out the tomb and Jesus came out the tomb? One came with grave clothes, the other one out of grave clothes. Jesus is alive. And so he was resurrected from the dead. The Bible says God raised him from the dead. Now, in Lazarus being raised and he comes out. Now, I can't imagine how difficult. If any of you ever figure this out, tell me, how do you walk in grave clothes? Because you're like literally wrapped around like this. I I think he was doing a bit of that. (laughs) Okay. And Jesus says to us, come on, loose him. Let him out of those old grave clothes. And by the way, that is a picture. Another message, another time, another Sunday. Getting rid of your grave clothes. Okay. Those things are clothes of death. The Bible says, be clothed with Christ. But Jesus, in rising again, he had no sin. And so he rises again bodily, but through those grave clothes. Now, what did the disciples hear at that moment? The followers of Jesus. Well, if you read on in verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. What a sight. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God 
and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and what he had spoken to her. She heard the voice of the Lord Jesus. What a beautiful moment as she doesn't recognize physically but what she hears of the ear. She says, that's Jesus' voice. I know him. And he says, Mary, she says, Rabboni. And then I think she just, if you ever known a woman who's got a good woman, can have good grips, some woman, okay? And she just went, <laughs> and Jesus like, don't hold on to me. Which leads us to the third thought is what they saw, what they heard, what they felt is Mary was holding not a spirit, she was holding a person with a body. And John, as he continues, now this is getting really interesting because Jesus appears on that Sunday. He appears to his disciples. And then another time, well, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to his disciples. Verse 24, Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to them, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see his hands and the print in his nails, unless I put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the disciples, so the next Sunday, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst. And he said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. In other words, look at the facts, Thomas. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed is everyone at Josh Dean Weinberg. Who has not seen and yet they have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing in him, you and I may have life in his name. You know, with those disciples... What they saw, what they heard, what they felt is they were convinced that the resurrection of Jesus really did happen. You know, a few years ago, some years ago, there was a journalist with the Chicago Tribune. His name was Lee Strobel, an agnostic, an atheist, a drunkard, and he had no interest in the Lord or in Jesus, but his wife went to church and became a believer. And he was so ticked off about it. You know, when you're not saved and you've got a Christian in the house, nothing worse than that. And um, so he was so mean to her. He went, she had just planted new plants in her front garden and he went and mowed the lawn over them. And he was so angry and Agro, and um, he got this idea, and he said, I'm going to debunk Christianity. I'm going to prove it's all a load of nonsense. So he thought, well, what, 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 what is the one thing, if I can just really grab Christianity by the neck and strangle it and just show my wife and everyone else is a load of mumbo-jumbo? He said, the resurrection. 
the fact that Christians believe that Jesus died, but he rose again. And so he went about that and started taking his notes. But the more that he studied it, the more that he read the Bible accounts, looking for contradictions, trying to disprove, and that is he realized, because listen, he was a legal journalist, he realized that that evidence is pretty compelling. And as he examined the facts, he became a Christian. He wrote the book, The Case for Easter. The case for the resurrection is he's a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lee Strobel was changed to the resurrection of Jesus. I was changed to the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection changes everything. Amen? Where's the Pentecostals? Come on. I want to hear you guys. Amen. Now, let me share with you briefly in our last few minutes four ways that the resurrection changes you and me. We want to make this practical. These are the facts. But how do they change you and me? Well, number one, if you are taking notes, is that the resurrection gives us peace. The resurrection gives me peace. Did you notice as we were reading through Jesus' words after he is raised from the dead? Peace to you. Three times in verse 19, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, while we gathered here on Sunday, remembering the resurrection when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and he said, peace be with you. In verse 21, Jesus again, peace to you. And again, Thomas, peace to you. Three times Jesus is saying, I'm giving you my peace, I'm giving you my peace. And whose mouth is it coming out of? The resurrected Jesus. And listen, if you're here today and you are not saved, you're not personally born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are religious but not born again, what's born again? It means that you've personally encountered Jesus like they did. You've believed and through faith and believing and confessing your sins and accepting Jesus Christ into your life. Like so many of us have done here today. That you can experience the peace with God. I remember the peace of God. You know there's something crazy. Because listen, we are born into the world sinners. And I've spent a lot of years of my life parenting children. My daughter Daniela is 18 today. My other daughter Charlotte, she's turning 20. Parenting. Um, and, and you know the one thing I can tell you about children, they're just the same as adults. When they don't have Jesus in their life, they don't have peace. It doesn't matter if they go up in a Christian home or not. That peace only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no other way, because there's only one Prince of Peace in our home, and it's not Dad. <laughs> it's Jesus. We just want to make clear that, kids. The resurrection changes everything. It gives us peace. Number two, purpose. The resurrection gives us purpose. 
Now, Jesus says these words after he says, peace to you. He says these words. Listen carefully. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Go out into the world. Now, this is a, a pretty like heavy-duty kind of statement. I, I, I wish we would all take that person. As the Father sent me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you to go into the world. Why? Because I love the world. I died for the world. And I want you to go. Now, guys, there's a crazy word that I want to give to you. Infiltrate. Sounds like a military term, doesn't it? Infiltrate. But that is the way that we go about carrying out our purpose. He says, I send you. I'm sending you into the world to infiltrate, to bring the gospel, and to share the truth and the love of Jesus Christ with the world. Infiltration. I love that. You know, that Easter, 30 years ago, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I saw my work in a whole new light. We had about 100 or more employees and I remember just thinking, geez, this is so cool. I'm here with them for eight hours a day. They're going to get to hear about Jesus. And I did that. And I led someone, not a lot of people, but I did lead some to Christ. It was awesome. Remember years later after I'd resigned that job and I was looking for some um, part-time work. Car and I were about to get married. And they were doing this big, massive surfing event at Musenberg Beach. And um, so I applied for one of the positions, management things, for, for the, it was called Ocean Action. And I got the job, and I realized, first day on the job, man, these guys are pagans. Hectic. And, you know, there were two business partners, and they were just doing it for money. They didn't care about anything. And surfing events and windsurfing and everything else, and... And us, it was really hectic. And the guys, they'd say, hey, stay, stay with us afterwards. We're going to have a drink. And they'd pull out the drinks. And they were like chain smokers. And sexy immoral. I mean, the language, it was like, I mean, my ears, I'd like literally wash out the, whew. And um, so they gave me quite a bit of leverage and authority. And I, I remember, it's like, man, Jesus, I just want to pray for these guys. And the wife, the one wife, man, I mean, she had so many affairs. And ugh, it was horrible. And um, I was like, God, how am I going to do this? And so I thought, okay, can I employ some staff? I need help. There's too much just for me to do. And I start phoning up all my Christian buddies. So the next day, a lot of Christian guys on the job, and we all did our work with such good attitudes, and um, it was awesome. And then the music was belting out on on Musenberg Beach, and it was all like, you know, that sex kind of music, blah, 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 yeah, you know, that kind of music, and, and I'm like, go home, get your CDs, and I get all my Christian CDs, <laughs> brought them there, started mixing them in with the DJ, and he's like playing Jaws of Crane, Third Day, and all this like, woo, Musenberg Beach, and it's like, Jesus' name, and those guys, I think they were drinking all that, they didn't even know what was going on half the time, and but it was infiltrate, share Jesus. They see the difference in you. The purpose of God is that God keeps us on this planet to change people's lives. 
Now, the third and second last point, and we're going to close super quick now, is the resurrection gives us power. Jesus said those words, receive the Holy Spirit. He blew on them. The power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And guys, the Holy Spirit is real. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And listen, I think it's good to say this in a church like this. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Not the happy spirit. Okay, because sometimes we think the Holy Spirit, you know, happy, happy, happy. Yeah, he does want to bring joy into our lives, but before that, he is Holy Spirit. Holiness is the absence of sin. And Jesus says there, he says in verse 23, if receive the Holy Spirit, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, guys, this is serious business what we're talking about here. What does that mean? Can we as leaders, can we say your sins are forgiven, your sins, your sins aren't forgiven? Sorry, come back next year. Your sin, no, what is that? No, it means as we preach the gospel, we preach our gospel is a gospel of forgiveness. And so even as I preach the gospel, now maybe there's someone here and you're still stuck in your sin life. And I'm preaching freedom in Jesus Christ and faith in the Lord Jesus. And you say, I want to respond. And you pray today and you say, I'm asking Jesus to come into my heart and come into my life and cleanse me and wash. And I say, your sins are forgiven. Be free in Jesus' name. See, that's what he's talking about. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit in us to help people to walk the road, to be on that pathway of holiness. And Jesus says, without holiness, no one at Josh Jen Weinberg will see the Lord. It's that serious. Let's take the Lord, what he says, seriously. Last point. The resurrection gives us passion. I like that. You know, like Thomas says so much, like some people I've tried to share the gospel with, and they're like, not interested. Don't tell you. Don't tell you. Like, Thomas is like, unless I see those marks, unless I put my thumbs in the nail prints, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, that was Sunday. Jesus rose. Eight days later, Jesus appears. And Jesus says, Thomas, come on. I heard what you said last Sunday. Where were you? I don't, I don't, I don't. Come on, put your thumbs here. Put your hand in my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. And here's one of the greatest declarations of faith in the Bible. My Lord and my God. <laughs> Thomas suddenly becomes one of the most passionate Pentecostal. Hallelujah, Jesus. My Lord and my God. He's alive. He knows, hey, Jesus is alive. I saw you, man. And, and I like what Jesus follows up with. And he says, yeah, okay. You saw, you saw, you saw. You can put your hands, you can touch, feel. But blessed are those people at Josh G. and Weinberg who haven't seen, yet they have believed. Isn't that awesome? 
Blessed are they. Guys, there's a blessing over you. Blessed are they. Faith in the resurrection changes everything. Amen? I'm not going to go much further. I want to just, but let's sum it up really what the resurrection changes. Having faith in the resurrection of Jesus, remember it's that three-legged part. It's like what supports us, what makes our Christianity cook, what makes goodness inside of us is faith. That third leg, the resurrection, that he was risen, that Jesus is alive, that the grave is empty, is my fears give way to peace, my aimlessness gives way to purpose, my weaknesses give way to power, my doubts give way to passion. Does the resurrection change us? The resurrection changes everything. How many of you, you want to live a Christian life of fear, aimlessness, weakness, and doubt? Leave the building, please. <laughs> How many of you want to live a Christian life of peace, purpose, power, and passion? I do. Amen? So, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Let's stand and let's ask the Lord to change everything. And as we pray, I want to, again, and I know this is so much on Russ's heart, extend that invite to you and say, hey, be born again. Come into the kingdom. And if you're here and you a visitor, friend, someone came along, Maybe you've even been in this church. How long has this church been going? 20 years? 15? 13? Okay. Maybe you've been here longer than Estian. But you've not been born again. You know, they call it being Christianized. You've got the, you're wearing all the clothes, but you, the heart's not there. Make us resurrection counts. Sunday, resurrection. Jesus is alive. Declare your faith in him today. And you just come to one of us the front after service, and we will pray with you while everyone else is eating hot cross buns. We'll share Jesus with you, and you accept Jesus. And if in your life, your, your desire is just to experience more of that passion, the purpose, the power of the Lord, and you pray and you ask the Lord Jesus to do that. Father, we come before you this morning. And we want to pray, Lord Jesus. I want to pray, Lord, as we have considered, Father, not, not what's a philosophy, not what we want to believe. We're not putting faith in faith today, Lord. We're putting faith in something that is established, something that is fact, something that happened, things that happened in history. And those disciples were real people like us, Lord. They were a little bit doff somewhere because they didn't even know you had spoken to them. You said you would rise again, but they didn't figure it out. And they had to discover for themselves. And Lord Jesus, today we want to thank you that we can see through their eyes. We can hear through their ears. We can feel through their hands that Jesus, you are alive, that you are risen. And we worship you today, God. We praise you. We say hallelujah to you, Jesus. Thank you that you are at work in us, that you are at work in our midst, Lord. Father, I want to pray for the peace of God over every person here today. I want to pray, Lord, for your purpose over every person. We're on this mission, Lord. 
Father, I want to pray for the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to pray for a passion for Jesus Christ in this church, Lord. Father, birth that today. Bring it forth. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this gospel, Lord. It's changed me. It's changed us. We love you, Jesus. Praise your name. Amen. Amen.